Hello, welcome to Vineyard Church Cardiff. We hope you enjoy our podcast. Today, James is finishing our three-part series, Reset, Rebuild, Restore. James is looking at what it means to restore this city and see the nation of Wales renewed. Hello, today I've got the pleasure of continuing in our series, Reset, Rebuild, Restore. I talked a couple of weeks ago about reset this moment that we find ourselves in right now, society is beginning to cautiously, and I would say cautiously, nervously maybe, open up the restrictions have changed again this week. And so we're moving into a new moment. And I was just asking us, well, as we do this, it's time to step back and to think about a reset moment. Well, what is it? What's the foundation that we wanna build on? What do we wanna prioritize? What do we wanna put our energy into? And I used the story from Luke 7 of the woman anointing Jesus's feet with perfume of this act of worship that we see here. And that everybody around, Simon was there and other people, and they would have looked on at this act thinking, what are you doing? This is awful. This is awkward. This is embarrassing. This is wrong. And yet what we see in Jesus's response is that Jesus looks at this act and he says, that is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. And so I started looking at worship and how we respond as we reset that worship's the first, first moment. The chief end of man is to glorify God and love him forever. Is that worship's our starting point. That worship's costly. That worship's vulnerable. That in order to have a deep relationship, that you've got to be vulnerable in that relationship. And that it's a life poured out. Well, then Alice took on the baton last week and she spoke about rebuild. And she looked at Nehemiah 3 and this story of Nehemiah getting a group of people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And here we see a community where everyone gets to build side by side, that they all bring their different gifts and they all put their shoulder to the plow and they're all, they all get involved. A community that see, serves the needs in front of it. And then finally, she finished with they serve the vision ahead of them. And, and I guess that's what I want to look at as I push into this idea of restore today. God's vision is to restore. God's heart is one of restoration. Our vision as a church is restoring the city, renewing the nation. And in times of difficulty and, and even survival sometimes, it's, it's easy to, to kind of stand back and to slightly lose direction in a sense of well, what is it all about? What are we trying to do? And that's why it's so important that we remind ourselves of what God's put in us and his heart. And we look at God and we say, what is it that's in your heart that we need to catch? And I feel that there is a a narrative and a story that the Lord wants to shift in his people today. And he's shifting it in me as well. So it's not just about you. You always have to preach to yourself first. But actually that the Lord's wanting to shift something in us as a people because he wants to implant his heart of restoration in us. The author of Ecclesiastes says that there is a season for every activity. And what's funny is as I was preparing this talk, I was just copying this section into my notes and Google Chrome had one of its epic failures and went shut down. And then the next moment it said, this little box came up, restore. It's like, yes, Google, restore. Even Google knows what I'm talking about today. But this passage, Ecclesiastes 3 says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, 
and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. That's the bit that I kind of got stuck on. A time to tear down and a time to build, a time to build again. There are different seasons, but as a community, so you individually have your own seasons and you might read through this list and be like, well, that's the season that I'm in. But actually communities have a season as well. And as a community, we're entering a new season. But what is it that we're building? God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, the heavenly city where God rules and reigns. We're not building buildings, we're building people. It's all about people, that God is restoring humanity, that God has put restoration in our hearts. He's put hope deep into our fibre. He's put a kingdom dream where he rules and reigns at our core. And our purpose is to spend our lives worshipping him, building his kingdom side by side and ushering in restoration to every place and person that we meet and go to. It's it's a huge vision, isn't it? You stop back and you're like, well, that's kind of overwhelming the scope of the size of that. And then what happens is we begin to break down this vision into stories, into smaller moments that we all love stories of restoration. I do. I love that moment where you're watching a film and it's bleak and it's dark and it's broken and then suddenly we begin to see this journey of restoration. You're like, yes, come on. I'm the kind of person that always needs a happy ending at the end of the film. If it's not got a happy ending, I am not interested. But we've had a couple of beautiful stories of restoration over the last month and Epo, who I was speaking with a couple of weeks ago, he was just telling me a, a couple of stories from our Open Door community, which we started five or six years ago, which is for the homeless community and the vulnerably housed community. And Mark had the privilege, and actually I met one of the guys as well, of bumping into a couple of guys that had that we haven't seen for a long time because Open Door's been really difficult to do. But actually we managed to start it again last week. So that is an amazing moment. Can I just... I just want to pray for it. Jesus, I just want to pray your hand on open door. And I want to thank you that you are bringing things back to life. And Lord, I just pray your hand on it. And I pray that many, many people will come to meet you through that community. In Jesus' name, amen. But actually, one of the guys came and he'd been in, the last time that we'd seen him, just over a year ago, he'd been in a really difficult place. And he'd come back just seeing his face in a completely different place. He managed to get himself a place to live for, for the first time since being on the streets since 1985. And he told Mark that he was so proud to let him know that he brought all of the clothes that he was wearing that day. And he finally just said that he wanted to come to church that morning to thank us for the input that we'd had through the years, but also just to give thanks to Jesus for changing his life and for providing for him. So amazing, that, that was in the morning. Then Mark tells the story in the evening, he bumps into another guy um, who's waiting outside church. And at first Mark was like, oh, I, I, I recognize this guy. Where do I recognize this guy from? And then he walked over to me and said that he'd come to Open Door about a year ago and they prayed for him there. And then again, things have begun to change from that encounter moment. He'd been in a really bad place, homeless, suffering from depression. Uh, and he'd reached the point of wanting to take his own, tragically wanting to take his own life as well. But um, a number of things that had happened and he just felt that God had completely provided for him and he'd been able to get himself out of that place. And he, like 
um, the guy before, he just wanted to come back that evening to, to thank God, really, for what he'd done in his life. And so Mark was like, it was the best day ever, just an encouragement, you know, to see what God's doing. And we just don't know. We throw out seeds and we put things into people's lives and we don't know what's going to happen. But what we do know is that God's heart is for restoration, is that he wants to see people's lives changed, that he wants people to meet him, that he wants to put a kingdom identity into them. And we get to play a small part in that. You know, it's, it's one thing to create, but it seems to be an even greater miracle, a greater act of God when he chooses to recreate, to bring out of the ashes a restored marriage, a restored life, a restored church. So I love the fact that God is in the business of not only creating, but of recreating, of restoring, of offering new beginnings to people whose worlds have been absolutely destroyed, that God takes them and he puts his heart and his life into them and he says, I'm with you. I want to speak about from one of the passages that I love, probably I was going to say more than any other, and then I was sitting there thinking, oh, is that true? I'm not sure that's true. I think it gives us the best picture of what restoration looks like in the kingdom, and it's Isaiah 61. So grab your Bibles. I'm just going to read through the whole thing. It's only 11 verses. Some of it will be familiar, but I wanted the whole passage. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, that is, rebuild and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord and my soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. I love the way it finishes and praise spring up before all nations. Worship. When Jesus preached his very, very first sermon. Big deal, your first sermon. It's kind of like that moment where you announce yourself. Or particularly Jesus did. I don't think my first sermon was such a big deal. But this was the passage, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, that Jesus took. And he said, this is my mandate. 
This is what I'm all about. If you want to know what I'm about, this is what I'm about. I'm announcing myself. And in it, Jesus sets out God's heart to restore humanity. So the first thing that comes up is Jesus saying, I've come to preach good news to the poor. Now, obviously, this has to do with economic brokenness. My message, what Jesus is saying is my message is for those with nothing, the forgotten, the marginalised, the downtrodden. That's who I've come for. And then secondly, he goes on to talk about the brokenhearted. So he's like, it's not just for those people who've got nothing. It's for people that have got loads, but are absolutely brokenhearted. He's dealing with emotional brokenness. Those whose lives have sunk, who've lost hope, who've broken relationships and experienced great loss. It's for them as well. And then he continues, proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Two different things here. He's talking about, on the one hand, intellectual blindness. And he's also talking about spiritual blindness, not seeing the truth. So we've got a whole load of different categories that Jesus is going through, basically saying it's for everybody. So economic brokenness, emotional brokenness, intellectual blindness, spiritual blindness. Jesus says, I've come to restore them. I've come for all of it. And then lastly, he goes on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, which is a quote back to Leviticus 25. He's saying, I've come to bring the jubilee. Well, what's that? Well, I, I have to tell you about this because it's so remarkable. In the Old Testament, God said to the people, one day in seven is the Sabbath, which we know about rest. But maybe you haven't heard that he also said to the people, one year in seven must be a Sabbath year. So not just a Sabbath day, but a Sabbath year. You're like, wow, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? A Sabbath year. And the Sabbath year was this. In those days, when through poor crops or poor fortune or poor judgment, it could be any of those things, you'd come to the place where you were so in debt that you couldn't pay your debts off. You'd become an indentured servant to the people you owed. So you become their servant. And of course, that's the sort of thing that would have happened back then. Some people would have got richer and more prosperous and some people didn't and they got into debt. But every seventh year, God says, Sabbath. And what's the Sabbath? In the Sabbath year, all debts were forgiven. All servants were free, therefore. The land was to lie fallow, which meant in order to build up the nutrients in the soil, they were to eat out of the storehouses and not till the field. So everybody rested. The land rested. You forgave your brother their debts, uh, brother or sister, any, any heart wrongdoing that had gone on. That's the Sabbath year. So that was in the Old Testament, and you can read about it in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But in Leviticus 25, it goes one step further. So not just the Sabbath day and the Sabbath year. And what's weird about this is it's so radical. And, and actually, I'm not sure that it was ever practiced. But here's what would happen. Every seventh year, Sabbath day, every seventh year is a Sabbath year. But every Sabbath, Sabbath. In other words, every seven Sabbath years, which would mean the 50th year, the Jubilee year, it was to be even more extensive. Not only were all of the debts forgiven, not only were all of the servants and the slaves freed, but if you lost your family's original land any time in the last 49 years, bad crops, bad judgment, it came back to you. The whole purpose behind the Sabbath year and the Jubilee was that if you'd messed it all up, if the, you'd got it all wrong, that this was this moment of restoration, this picture of restoration. It's, 
a beautiful picture, isn't it? And so Jesus turns up and he says, I bring the jubilee. I proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So holistic, so huge. And so then just going down into verses three and four, we, we see this picture of complete individual transformation. A crown of beauty, oil of gladness, garments of praise. You'll become oaks of righteousness. God is not just going to declare you righteous, which he does when he wraps you in a robe of righteousness in verse 10, but he's actually going to make you righteous. He's going to put his spirit in you. He's going to put his nature in you. That's what we have in verse three. You are going to become inside and out completely transformed. And then in verse four, we can see that we're supposed to go and rebuild cities. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore that word, the place is long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And then it goes on in the next few verses to talk about racial harmony as well. There's a rebuilding of cities, personal transformation, social transformation, spiritual wholeness, psychological wholeness, economic wholeness, racial wholeness, a picture of restoration across the board. And the Messiah, Jesus, comes back and he says, This is what I'm about. I am about restoration. In my heart is restoration. Notice in verse three, it says, I will put on a crown of beauty where you've had ashes. And he's thinking very literally when somebody died or when anything went really wrong in your life, you didn't just put on black. What you did was you put on ashes. You went into the fireplace and you picked up some ash and you put it over yourself. It wasn't just a little cross on your forehead. You literally put ashes on yourself. So you you would have looked awful, dirty. And what the Messiah says is, I'm going to give you beauty for ashes. Can you see these, suddenly how these metaphors, these pictures come to life? And you're like, wow. Therefore, when the Messiah, when Jesus comes and says, I've come back to make things whole. I've come back to rebuild everything, restore everything, reweave everything, make everything whole. That's what's in the heart of God. He wants to change things. It's transformative. So God's vision is to restore humanity. And like I said earlier, it's so big. And that's why I love this chapter. And I come back to it because I'm like, oh, that's a picture of restoration. That's what's in God's heart. I want to capture what's in God's heart. But God's vision is also to restore us because you might be sitting there thinking oh that sounds sounds great James but if I'm if I'm really honest I'm just a bit tired so many people are just feeling tired I need to be restored it's like yes that's the starting place I completely agree we need to be restored before we can restore anything else we have to have ourselves restored Verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he's clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. I mean, what a picture. As Christians, when we give our lives to Jesus, there's a restoration that occurs and we move from being citizens of this world to citizens of heaven. The life of God enters our soul and our heart and our mind. The breath of God comes to live within us such a great picture there's a divine exchange that occurs God takes our mess and our rubbish and our sin and he replaces it with this garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness it's a restoration moment it's 
So at the heart of this story for, for us individually is this res restoration moment that, that so many of us have experienced. And if you haven't experienced that, that is the invitation. Today, God's like, I want you to experience my restoration. I will take the ashes. Instead, I will replace them with my, my garment of salvation. So you've got that, but you've also got as citizens of heaven, we have to keep living out of our kingdom identity. We have to keep standing in this bigger story, in this kingdom story. And we've got to guard this story. We've got to remind ourselves of it. We have to let him enlarge our hearts again. Speak words of life and fullness and wholeness over us. That the restoration isn't just this one moment that happens at salvation. It's ongoing. It's day by day. We can't settle for another story. We have to fight for his story and his words over us. And it's easy to let it slip. It's easy to let lies settle over us. These would be the lies. Oh, it doesn't really matter how I live. I'm just going to live a safe life. Got nothing to give away. I'm tired. I'm, I'm just going to look after me. And suddenly we've, we've reduced the gospel to this tiny thing. But God says, I made you for more. You've got my life inside of you. I don't just restore once, I keep on restoring. Come back to that phrase, the resurrected king is resurrecting me, is ongoing. Out of a place of worship, he fills our hearts with the story and the heartbeat of the kingdom and he restores us. And so as I'm talking about restoration, you're, you're sitting there and you might be just feeling tired, it's like, the offer is there. Come to him. Present yourself before him. And he wants to pour his life into you right now in this moment. He wants to enlarge your heart again and say you're part of a bigger story. You're part of a bigger story. To see the city restored. Blessed to be a blessing. And then finally this leads in. Because unless we're restored, the idea of restoring the city, well, well that's ridiculous, isn't it? It's like, well, that's far too big. And it is big because it's in God's heart. God uses his church to find people who are lost and without hope. He uses the church, his church, to find people who enter relationships, hoping for one thing and finding another. And he uses his church to speak life into broken contexts. He uses the church to show that the dream of heaven is very much alive. It's a dream of reconciliation. It's a dream of redemption. It's a dream of hope. It's a dream of people who feel like failures discovering that God has spoken words over them, that he's named them, that he's got plans for them, purposes for them, that he's, they're his workmanship created in advance to do good works. For somebody who's been told that they're an accident for their whole life, can you imagine what happens when God says, you are my child and you are precious? Bang, begins to completely rewrite their story in that moment. To discover that we are God's workmanship his design, his precious son or daughter is the most liberating, incredible message. I have a heavenly father who loves me, who's proud of me. God uses his church to rebuild the dreams of shattered communities. And where these communities have at their centre fear and hopelessness, then God wants to bring the hope of the gospel into them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the crazy thing is he uses us to do it. God is asking us to own our city and our communities, to take responsibility for praying the life of God into them, 
and praying for opportunities to show God's extravagant love in them. God is good. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. Just coming back, just this picture of taking a shattered community and putting God's hope in them to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. You know what it's like when you feel that spirit of despair, but that garment of praise, of worship, of joy. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They're covered in thankfulness and gratefulness and joy rather than a spirit of hopelessness. John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and life to the full. Every person's ultimate dream is found in him. I completely believe that. Every person's ultimate dream is found in God. But so many people know they were made for more. They just don't know how to find that. But we've been given this treasure. And our dreams come from what we give our attention to. Your dreams will always come from what you give your affection to. Whatever you look at creates longings within you. So it's impossible to look at something for a long time and for it not to begin to stir up longings within you. If you look at a house for a long time, if you spent your life on right move, guess what you long for? You long for that house if you keep looking at cars. And that's what you look at all the time. What do you begin to long for? You begin to long for that. If you look at another person for a long time, guess what it begins to stir up in you? If you give your attention to something, it will stir up your longings. So coming back, what is it that fills your gaze? What have you gazed at this week? What has fixed your attention and affection? Because when you change what you look at, it shapes your longings. There is a level of dreaming that does not come from this world. It only comes from the heart of God. There's a different level to dream at and think of, and it's at the level of being raised up with him. He raises up in order that we can think in a new way. A number of years ago, uh, when I was quite early on in my relationship with Jen, we went on the London Eye. I took Jen on the London Eye, had a little, you know, backpack with a couple of glasses out, took them out, little bottle of wine as we went around the London Eye. Very romantic. In those, no, still incredibly romantic. But what's really interesting is when you're in the middle of London, it's so difficult to get a perspective on it. But what happens when you go up on the London Eye, suddenly you can see over the whole of London and you're like, oh, that's how that fits together. Oh, that's next to that. I'd never seen that before. Your perspective completely shifts. That's what I'm talking about right now, a perspective shift from, and this is what I believe part of the reset, rebuild moment is a perspective shift from, I've been looking down here and what the Lord wants to do, is almost like taking us up on the London Eye, it's like, I wanna lift up your gaze. I wanna lift up your perspective and tell you that you're part of something so much bigger. You are a restorer. You are called to bring the life of God into whatever situation you go into. But in order to do that, you first have to be restored. You cannot just give out of your own heart. You have to give the life of God. And therefore, I have got to fill you first. So coming in to finish, partly is beginning to dream again, where dreams have been crushed. And actually, they have been crushed more than ever before, haven't they? It's dangerous. It's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not gonna invite that person around in case I can't happen. Is that we almost stop hoping, we stop dreaming, we stop thinking about what, you know, just planning in life. But actually I feel like the Lord wants to just begin to change our perspective. So I wanna lift you up, I wanna raise you up with me, I want you to look over things. And I want you to understand that I have in my heart restoration and therefore when you worship me, I will put in your heart restoration that you can't help but look next door and think what God wants to do. That you can't help look at your, but look at your street and think what God wants to do because the life of God needs to enter those places. So God is in the restoration business. He's restoring humanity. He's restoring us and his heart is to restore the city. And so let me just pray in finishing. Jesus, I want to pray that you lift up our perspective. Lord, you did not call us to live narrow lives. You called us to live expansive, kingdom-centred lives with you at the centre, where we worship you in spirit and in truth, where we rebuild with our brothers and sisters in Jesus, and where you put dreams of what you long to do in our hearts. And so, Lord, just begin to open them up right now. We say yes to your Holy Spirit. We say yes to dreaming in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.